I'm licensed psychotherapist Greg Woodhill. Welcome to a Brave New Man podcast. On this show, we speak with both experts and non-experts in our goal of exploring all the ways that men are already getting it right, acknowledging all the ways that we're getting it wrong, and most importantly, learning how we can fix what needs to be fixed in order to have healthier, happier relationships and lives. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's podcast. I want to start off by telling you about my guest today because I want to talk a little bit about this upcoming interview you're about to hear and some of the things that I discovered as we were having it. My guest today is Stefanos Safandos. He is a transformational growth coach, and he does that through neuroempowerment practices, which is an integration of spiritual praxis and Western psychology to improve, evolve, and enhance the quality of your relationships. So Steph is immersed in deep men's empowerment work and intimate relationships. He merges the best of Eastern and Western methodologies and philosophies to promote balance, clarity, and joy in life. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? What was so surprising to me about my interview with Steph is I set out to talk to him about the masculine energy, the feminine energy, how we can understand them, how we can use them within ourselves and understand them and others to create better relationships. What I didn't realize is that the breadth of Steph's work is a lot more about how do we look inside of ourselves and hold ourselves to the highest standard possible in growth in healing, in love, in communication, and respect for ourselves and others. So the more I asked about what is the masculine, the more this conversation opened up into looking at the past and the present and the future and asking ourselves, how are we taking care of ourselves and other people in a holistic and systemic way? It really blew my mind, and I think you're going to like it a lot. You'll hear as we talk about masculinity that one of the biggest differentiations that Steph makes about masculinity that is healthy versus unhealthy is whether we are being inclusive or exclusive in our actions and our intentions. Are we taking other people and their needs into account or are we only thinking about ourselves? I asked Steph about assertion versus aggression, and I think you're going to like what he has to say about that because when we tune into our intentions of the actions that we take, we can look inside and ask ourselves, what is making us tick and why? You'll hear Steph talk a lot about looking at our past and asking, how did my past shape the man or woman that I am today? And what can I do about it to bring out the healing and the love that is already inside of me that I want to set free? I've actually split this interview into two parts. So in this episode, you're going to hear the first half of our interview. In our next episode, you'll hear the second half. In this interview, we talk a lot more about what expectations should we make of ourselves and what standards should we hold ourselves to. And in the second part of the interview in our next episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about what to do about it, how to fine tune our life, how to surround ourselves with the people that are going to bring out the best in us as men, as women, as people, and as relational partners. So it won't be lost on you if you listen to this interview that Steph fairly clearly states that relationships are how we heal in life and we need to cultivate those in order to be the person that we want to be down deep. And in our interview about masculinity, Steph really puts up these two questions. One, what does it mean to be a good man? And two, how can we be good at being men? I think you're going to like this interview and it's going to stoke inside of you questions that we can all be asking ourselves every day about where we are today and where we're going. 
I guess what I'm saying is that this conversation with Stephanos made me ask myself how I can be the best person I can be. And I think it's going to have you asking yourself the same question too. Plus, he's got a pretty cool accent as well. Enjoy. Steph, thanks so much for being on the podcast today, man. Pleasure. I'm really excited to be sitting down here with you because as a transformational growth coach, you work with a lot of men around the specific topic of masculinity. Yeah. What it is, how to embody it, how to live a much more full life with the understanding of masculinity that some people aren't even aware of in the first place. Mm. So I'm just so pleased that we can talk about this here today. So masculinity and femininity have been talked about for so long as what body you inhabit. Are you in yeah. a male body, a female body? Yeah. People call that that's a masculine or a feminine thing. There's so much more to it than that. I'm wondering, can you give us an understanding of what is the masculine energy and what is the feminine energy? And I know that's a big question. Yeah, it's a big question. It, it, it's a, but it's also really, it's an insightful question as well. And we begin to understand this, this expressive nature that we have of self, this, this polarity that we all possess as human beings, as sentient beings. We, we begin to tap into our what I call our ultimate, I'm not the only one to call it this, but our ultimate potential. And we begin to tap into what are we capable of as human beings? Because if we're too masculine or if we're too feminine, what we're really saying is we're just too, uh, too extreme on one end of the spectrum. And so being too extreme on, on any end of the spectrum, it's just not healthy. Sure. It's not balanced, right? right. When you look at any Eastern mysticism, most, even, even Western psychology, we're looking for this harmony, this balance in self and in expression, the way we relate to ourselves, the way we see ourselves, think about ourselves, the way we interact with people. And anything that's extreme is not really looked, it's frowned upon. It's yes. not looked upon as healthy. And so you've asked me what masculinity is. And, and I don't know if I can fully answer that. And to be honest, I don't think anyone really can. Mm. I can offer a suggestion as to what I believe masculinity in contemporary times is within a certain cultural paradigm. Yeah. Because it varies. And I think the question we need to ask ourselves with respect to masculinity, yes, masculinity and femininity exists in all persons. Mm -hmm. It's an expressive state. It's like a... Michaela Boehm says, and she, she worked for 17, 18 years with David Data. And, and she's, she's an amazing human being in terms of how, in, in, the, in the scope of relationships, uh, interpersonal relationships, intimate relationships. And she looks at masculine feminine energy as do, be energy or go and flow energy. Mm. And if we look at it that way, we can remove this, this connotation of masculine is, is only for men and feminine is only for women. Sure. Which is how we've looked at it, how people have, have looked at it forever. Yeah, yeah, and someone like David Data would say, and I don't know, I'm not certain if he, he's updated his thoughts on this, mm -hmm. but he would say men, males, would, and as we're assuming now that there's only a binary gender. That's mm -hmm. another point of discussion as well. The, the other 60 plus expressions of gender identification mm -hmm. that exist today, informally slash formally. And so David Data would say that men quote unquote, should be around 60-70% masculine yeah. and the rest feminine mm -hmm. and in order for them to be healthy and females the opposite of that. So 60-70% feminine and yeah. the rest masculine traits. And then of course there's the, there's the dark, there's the light, there's the healthy and there's the unhealthy as well and the yeah. expressions within if you're looking at tantra, if you're looking at different schools of thought around that. Let's start with what, what does it take to be a good man? What does it mean to be a good man? Great question. And it is a culturally relative construct. 
And so what I mean by that is that it will differ from group to group, dominant peer group to dominant peer group. And I'm not only referring to ethnicity, I'm referring to value sets. What your peer group that supports your identity in the world values will influence how you see yourself and what you deem to be a quote-unquote good man. Let me give you an extreme example. A suicide bomber, for example, conducts his duty in the world. Now, in his dominant in-group may see him as courageous and may see him to be uh, based and grounded in valor, to view him as a man of God, as divine action taking place in this human form. Anyone outside of that group, that, that particular peer group that does not align with that value set would not see that man as courageous and heroic, would see that man as potentially disgusting, pathetic, wrong, would see that man as evil, whatever judgments or adjectives you wish to put on or place upon his actions and that man. Being a good man is going to be based on the values that you hold true to you that are influenced by so many factors, that are influenced by your upbringing, your familial conditioning, your societal conditioning, the values that you hold close to you, your interpretations of the world, your belief systems. So for me to say, hey, this is what defines a good man for me, is what defines a good man for everyone, is inaccurate. And so, and, and I'll go ahead and I'll, and I'll, and I'll tell you uh, some of the characteristics and the virtues that make a good man for me. And also another question that we don't seem to ask, which actually sets a foundation for how we move through the world. And of course, we'll speak to this more later, is how can we be good at being men? And that's what I'm interested in is yeah. in men come to you yeah. and you work in conjunction with them to bring out the goodness in their masculinity, the fullness of your masculinity. What does that mean for you? So let's go ahead and, and speak to a number of virtues or characteristics, in my opinion, that make a good man. In fact, let me just begin with this. Ownership, personal power and responsibility. As men, when we learn to take ownership for all that we've been, all that we are, and all that we wish to become, and we take steed of that, we are responsible for our actions. In other words, we don't project our shame, our guilt, our pain, our discomfort, our anger, or any emotion for that matter, but rather we take ownership of it and we allow it to be our own. We allow ourselves to feel it. We give ourselves permission to feel it. We actually learn how to feel that in and of itself, that, that, that intention and willingness to allow ourselves to feel and take ownership of those feelings and those emotions that are moving through us at a, at a psychological level a, and a visceral level. That, for me, is a, is a powerful characteristics, a characteristic of what defines a good man. Accompanying that, of course, is willingness. Willingness to explore these disowned aspects of the psychological self. This anger that we may feel, this repressed rage that we may feel, this shame and guilt that we may feel that we put to the side, that we ignore because it's too difficult to face. The willingness to go there and then expressing effort in that space and in that place is so empowering as men. And so we, we actually, when we take 
back that responsibility and we put the onus on ourselves to be responsible for how we feel, how we act, how we behave, what we believe, what we think. That is deeply empowering and that lends itself to personal power because the moment we take steed and responsibility for who we are in the world and how we feel and how we act is the moment we cease to disempower ourselves by allowing or thinking that others need to fix us or others in our lives, other key relationships in our lives like our wife, uh, our, our parents, mother, father, our brother, society, our boss, they need to do the work for us to take away our pain or discomfort. The moment we take ownership of that, we regain our personal power because now we realize that we are empowered to take action in alignment with what value, what, what matters most to us. So foresight, being able to see if I take these actions now, how will it affect me later? Ideally thinking in generational terms. Mm -hmm. And so there's longevity and sustainability in our thinking. And so what I mean by that, that's sustainability in our thinking. And that's part of what I I believe is is a healthy masculine man, Mm -hmm. is that when we're making decisions and taking action now, are we thinking generations ahead? Mm-hmm. The major actions that we're taking in life, how we're choosing to present ourselves, to live our lives, the the vocation that we're engaged in, how we treat people, how we treat ourselves, how we how we show up in the world, mm-hmm. what our values are and so forth. Are, are we really thinking longer term? Because our society doesn't really, doesn't systemically doesn't really allow that. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at government, it's about two to four year terms. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so the, the life cycle in which government thinks, which is, global leadership essentially even even brought down into layers at a, at a more micro level mm-hmm. at a more localized level it still thinks in very short terms sure. you look at corporations it's all about quarterly reports so how can we satisfy our shareholders one primary stakeholder every quarter in reference to socioeconomics mm-hmm. and giving a, a profitable return monetary return on investment mm-hmm. and so we don't have this long really long-term view systemically of, of our world and so the masculine paradigm or the masculine energy being dominant in our society at large today, we have to make some shifts mm-hmm. if we want to actually survive because our earth, we have to think long term. Yes. And so I, I break this down to the, for the, from the macro to the micro. And more importantly, how are you leading yourself as a man? Mm-hmm. How are you treating your wife, your partner, your children, your close friends, your colleagues? Is there sustainability in that relationship? And is there more inclusivity than what there is now? There's so much segregation in the world. Sure. And I'm not naive to think that segregation won't be around for some time. And segregation in some respects can be healthy because it helps us form our own identity of self. Mm. And if we're surrounding ourselves with the quote-unquote right people, then we can develop a a deeper sense of self-worth and self. But we still need to expand our our sense of inclusivity it's too we're too segregated we're too focused on difference being the enemy sure difference exists of course but it can also be healthy when you talk about inclusivity versus exclusivity yeah. there's a, a term that you're not a fan of which is a, a label which is uh, talked about a lot today toxic masculinity mm. and what i've heard you say is that that is one of the defining factors between healthy masculinity and unhealthy is is it inclusive of other people? Do I take you in as a human being as I assert myself, as I move toward and directive and strong in, in, in my goals? Or am I doing it from a place of egoic fear, of not enoughness, of needing mine at the exclusion of anybody else gets what I want? And in what you're talking about, 
masculinity taken to a far extreme where it's all about me is where it becomes unhealthy. Yes. One of the ways. Yes. And when it's inclusive and that in, in what you were just saying a moment ago, when it's forward thinking, when I'm considering what ju- not just happens today or next year, but what about 500 years from now? Or what, what about the people that I won't be alive here in this physical form for? That that does influence masculinity as far as is it healthy or is it unhealthy? Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I, I, I love speaking to this. So we look at ancient, ancient tribes and we can look at, we're here in the US, so why don't we speak about tribal people here that once occupied or once were custodians of this land um, f- far more profoundly than they are now. And the Native Americans or American Indians. And I'm not, as, as an example, we can look at tribes all over the world. Mm-hmm. And so Aboriginal people, in the Indigenous people of Australia, yeah. They're, every every time they would they were roamers they would roam a lot. I'll, I'll use American Indians and and Aboriginal people, mm-hmm. Indigenous people of Australia. They would roam a lot, and so what they would do is when they would leave a place, a geographical place, they would burn everything. Mm. They would burn everything so they would regenerate for the next tribe that would come through mm-hmm. and it would flourish and it would be rich with life. So they would have sustenance, access to food, resources, water, etc. Whatever whatever they needed to do, and so the Native mm. American people were so connected to earth and land. They realized that earth is the crux and the foundation of our existence. Our ability to build skyscrapers and buildings, our ability to have politics, to engage in philosophical conversations, to have industry, to to, to have uh, to be deeply engaged in socioeconomics is predicated on the integrity of our earth, which supports our life. It's like our ability to think is predicated on our body being in health and integrity. Mm-hmm. If we're in a coma, we can't think we right. can't we can't act we can't be our relationships the way we we everything that we do in the world is predicated on the integrity of our physical vessel and that is is based on the integrity of this earth mm-hmm. and so I, I want to get masculinity back into that that inclusivity yes of thinking more about not just one stakeholder meaning myself or even even one stakeholder meaning humans or just my group. Now, again, not naive to the fact that it is difficult. It is it is almost inconceivable and impossible for the brain to begin to think about 7.5 billion people and have that <laughs> as an inclusive in-group. That, that's unrealistic. Sure. All I'm saying is as a starting point, begin to think beyond self. And so I have a concept for this and I call it selfish selflessness. Oh, I like that. It's cool, and it sounds like a like a oxymoronous at first, but all it really means, at, at a fundamental level, all it means is that you're considering yourself and others in that particular situation, in that in that uh, individual circum- set of circumstances, yeah. that the specific set of circumstances, others and yourself at the same time, as best as you can. You're giving it a thought. That's it. Th- that's a starting point. Yeah. And so the intention is an intention of considering yourself and other, and you're moving beyond the immediate self right now. Yes. And you're moving into a place of how can I serve myself and. Duh, duh, duh. Yes, sure. Which I think that it opens up a channel of that person's natural, the masculinity that already exists inside is like to, to get outside of himself, let's say, if it's a man, and to think more globally, to think more inclusively. That is one of the things I would say one of the pillars of bringing out the masculine inside of people that you work with. Is that accurate? Is that one of the first things that you're talking about that you deal with them? Yeah, it would be one of the first things. Okay. So inclusivity and sustainability is, is for me is uh, two major points for beginning to redefine masculinity in contemporary times. Yeah. Of course, there's a myriad of other uh, principles or pillars that I, that I utilize. Yeah. 
and that I leverage upon from from minds of uh, great minds of the past to to present as well and to to bring together you know this concept of what it what it means to be good at being a man i, I really love that yes I re- and, and again these are these aren't my original ideas but i'm evolving them in a different way because some of them are a little bit rigid in the sense it's it's either this or it's that and uh, i don't i don't know about that i think part of being masculine being in a healthy masculine role today is yes. to be robust is to be adaptable. What do you mean by robust? Well, we're able to deal with difficulty and we're willing to deal with difficulty and challenge and we're not broken by it so quickly. Yes. And again, when we look at our ancestors and we look at how we've evolved in the last 500,000 to 2 million years, we've evolved through being faced with tremendous difficulty and challenge and we've overcome that. We're here today because of that. Absolutely. And so we live in such a passive society today. We live in such ease yes. and grace today, generally speaking, yes. for, for so much of the Western world at least. Yeah. Okay, again, I'm, I'm very aware that there's billions of people in starvation and poverty. Sure. And I'm not speaking to... They'll never probably hear this podcast. That's right. They'll never have the opportunity to deeply contemplate higher philosophical standings around the world, around themselves and how they want to be because they're more focused on survival, right. food, water, shelter. Yeah. And so the people that are hearing this, we have an, a, a duty and obligation to honor who we are Mm -hmm. as human beings. Mm -hmm. And particularly men have thrived in challenge and AKA conflict. And so when I'm speaking to conflict, I'm not speaking to egoic warmongering Mm -hmm. or warmongering for profiteering and looking at the military industrial complex and everything that's associated with that. I'm talking about conflict in terms of challenging complacency in demonstrating our own relevance to ourselves Mm -hmm. through challenging ourselves and we can begin very easily be physically adept ah what do you mean by that carry strength in the body Mm -hmm. now that doesn't mean you have to be a powerlifter doesn't mean you have to be a bodybuilder doesn't mean you have to be the strongest man in the world or you have to continue to outperform physically any of the other men that are near you it means that you're prepared you have basic physical preparedness Mm -hmm. that means you have a confidence in your body to execute anything that's required of you so if someone was to ask you hey you need to you need to walk back to los angeles right now (laughs) you need to run there you got to get there as quickly as possible the only way you can get there are your two legs can't catch a vehicle is not no bus no taxis no ubers nothing you just got to get there We have to have confidence in ourselves, whether we make it or not, confidence at least to to be able to do that as an example. So having physical prowess means that we're training our bodies and preparing our bodies. I always say, (laughs) surround yourself with a group of men or at least prepare your body for a zombie apocalypse. (laughs) Just do that. That means you may have to carry five gallons of water. You may have to carry a gun or, or something. You may have to carry a bat. You may have to carry some supplies. Mm-hmm. Can you trek with those supplies for, for kilometers or miles on end mm-hmm. if you need to? Can you, can you ward off a, a pack of zombies if you had to? Sure, right. Prepare yourself. Put yourself under challenge. Move and venture into the unknown. Do something that scares you every day. Maybe it's joining a boxing club or a, yes. a wrestling club or something. Yeah. Maybe it's trekking in, in the mountains and you, do, you, may, you may do that a couple of times a week. Maybe it is yoga and moving your body and getting yeah. your body flexible and nimble and getting your joints and your, and your connective tissue strong. It's nothing. It doesn't have to be extreme, but have confidence and faith in your body. This is very, very important. One of the things I think you're saying is that because of the comforts of what it's like to live here where we live and now when we live is that every five minutes there's going to be something created that makes life easier more comfortable less challenging and i know that you believe that growth happens through 
well, through a lot of different things, but challenges one of them. Challenges one of them, yes, absolutely. And so, so you're talking about actually, and this is part of, I think, the assertiveness that is is one of the aspects of masculinity. And self-reliance, another and, one as well. And self-reliance, yeah, absolutely. So in having to or choosing to create that in your life, even though technology and all the developments that we have are making our lives easier, but that doesn't mean, but that they can take away from our natural instinct to do the things. Part of the core of what it means to be a masculine man, a healthy masculine man. And I think that the fact that we, and this is, I'm not the first person to say this, is the fact that we have that, the world that we live in today, where we do live in a world of ease and technological access and and complacency. Mm -hmm. We live sedentary lifestyles for the large part. Mm We have an opportunity to be active and conscious in our choice to challenge our bodies, as an example, to challenge our minds, to to engage in mastery of some sort, to learn new skills. We were 500,000 years ago, 100,000 years ago, we were forced to do that. We That's had right. to do that. That's we didn't right. have a choice. Right. Now that we have a choice, and if we move towards that choice, that solidifies our sense of self in greater terms because we're very active and cognitive yeah. and aware. The intention is there. And even having an intention and acting on it, that's very powerful for men as well, especially if that intention is aligned with creating greater levels of health within self, mental, spiritual, emotional, physical. So a person has to be assertive today in making those things happen for himself. And the word assertive, I'm interested in your take about assertive versus aggressive because i because we see a lot of that today a lot of aggression and a lot of the type of of very self-centered well i was going to say self-centered assertiveness but i think really it's like asserting dominance or trying to assert dominance over others how does somebody who wants to develop more assertiveness in his life if it's a man do that and know he's not moving toward aggressiveness aggression Go back to principles of inclusivity and sustainability as a starting point. Mm-hmm. Ask where the where the assertiveness or the action is coming from. Where inside of himself? Correct, yeah, because okay. assertiveness is directed action essentially. And so, when, yeah, when we have clarity and if we're clear on the assertiveness and, and therefore we're, we're moving towards our values and our actions are in alignment with what's important to us, Generally, that's assertiveness. And again, go back to the inclusivity and the the, uh, sustainability. Aggression generally, and I'm a fan of aggression, but in in a different way, in a spin, okay? And so generally, though, aggression is uncontrollable emotion. And it's coming from wounding and pain and fear that's usually unconscious. And that compounds within the body and within the expression, it becomes the norm for us. So frustration, agitation, aggression is the norm for so many men. And so what they're not doing is they're not feeling what's underneath the aggression. For most women, it's reversed. They, mm. they, they have access to sadness and they have access to, to deeper feeling emotions and they, they struggle to access aggression because mm. yes. our society says girls shouldn't be angry. That's right. and it's normal for boys to fight and boys will be boys and That's all of right. that, as, as an example, right? Sure, and boys are, are trained. Uh, it's not okay to cry. It's not yeah, okay to correct. say you hurt my feelings or you hurt me physically. It's okay to say fuck you yeah. and get angry. Without knowing why. Right, without knowing so why. So for me, assertiveness carries a clarity and aggression doesn't. It's, it's unconscious, uncontrollable anger. But we can harness aggression, we can take aggression, and we can use it to benefit us. We can use the energy and the essence of, of aggression. When it, once it becomes known, once it becomes understood, then it can be assertive and then it can be creative. Yes. Then we can create something in the world that's of value, not only to ourselves, but to others as well. 
I love what you're saying. How does someone know if what they're doing is coming from an unresolved egoic place inside of them or not? Let's say that they're hearing these terms for the very first time. How does someone say, am I coming from a clear, aligned place that's sustainable and inclusive, or am I coming from a place where of fear? How do they know? It's a great question. Relationships tell us a lot about ourselves. Okay. Relationships tell us everything about <laughs> ourselves. So we can begin with, first step is look at the key relationships in your life. Just identify. Identify the most important relationships in your life, the closest, most intimate relationships in your life. Yeah. Step number two. Observe and list all the conflicts that you've had, as many as you can remember, of course, across all of those relationships, all the challenges that you've experienced in that relationship. Maybe it's been an argument, maybe a disagreement, maybe a a, a colliding of values, maybe a a full-blown fight, whatever it may be, really aggressive, whatever it is, identify all of that. And then third step, look at all the patterns. Are there any patterns Mm. in that? What is your pattern? What is your go-to behavior? How have you shown up in that? Is there a regularity or a pattern in that? What's an example of a pattern? Yeah, so an example of a pattern could be, let's say you're having an argument and someone says to you, oh no, I disagree with you. They they express that, however they express it, but they disagree with your position. They disagree with your vantage point, your idea. How do you react or respond to that? Do you become aggressive? Do you become loud and angry and obnoxious? Is that a pattern in your, in your behavior across other relationships as well? And then you can begin to look at what does that mean? Why am I so defensive? Why am I so obnoxious? What is happening? Here? Now, for most people, and Greg, I obviously understand the work that you're in as well. Mm. So you could really go to the root of that quite quickly or at least begin to identify it. For most people that aren't trained in the mind and the psyche and so forth, it's difficult. So I, I definitely suggest getting a coach, getting a, a mentor, a, a psychologist, a counselor, a spiritual guide, someone that can assist you and also reflect back to you what may be happening there. Yeah. But as an example, maybe that defensiveness, that hyper-defensiveness to jump so quickly when you're being attacked is maybe as a young boy, you're father didn't appreciate you your father didn't see you for who you were every time you spoke that you can remember he would tell you you're wrong or that he screamed at you and so the only way that you could defend yourself or to feel safe as a young adult or as a teenager was to be on the front foot to before someone even finished disagreeing with you you were right in there maybe you became hyper intellectualized you you became really studious and whatever anyone could say you would debate immediately what they said because you learned that that's what you had to do when you were to survive yeah and we carry that on into our adult lives yes not realizing that correct that that it's something that we're still trying to right a wrong from our past or get love in the best way we knew how so you've talked before about coming from uh, an abusive family of origin and about how that shaped you early in your life and yes. how that led to huge transformational change as you grew into the adult man that you are today. So a couple of the things that I have heard you say is that it created a situation where you didn't feel safe expressing your truth, mm. where you felt like you had to, um, I don't know, you didn't use the word withdraw into yourself. However, to oh, be isolated. Okay, yeah. you have. Yeah, so oh, to yeah, be yeah. isolated and, and I have used that term before, yeah. Gotcha. So what is it that happens when we are in an abusive, whether it's overt or covert abuse in our families of origin, that creates these false senses of self. And what are we doing in that? Is it, is it an attempt to protect ourselves, attempt to, to find love? Um, and, and do we always carry it into our adult lives? Uh, I believe all of the above to what you've just said. It's, okay. it's, a, it's a mechanism of protection and safety. Okay. It's 
us wanting to learn how to give and receive love ultimately. And for the larger part, unless it's checked, unless we do some deeper work on ourselves before we go into our adult intimate relationships, we do carry those coping strategies. As Christine says, well, my fiance, our friend, yes. your friend, my friend as well, of course. <laughs> She's my best friend. Um, as, she, as, as she says, compensatory strategies, we take these coping strategies that were once healthy because they served us they actually protected the mind no they, they helped us remain sane we bring them into our adult lives and they become maladaptive so in psychological terms as you know it's called maladaptive sure. coping strategy it's no longer serving you exactly. but you're still doing it right. but we still do it yeah because it's all we know and so until we make the unknown known we become stuck in that cycle and so a, a, a standard question is well how do we make the unknown known and the reality is, unless you are so deeply curious around your own growth and you're so observant of your patterns, you'll struggle to do it on your own. We're relational, pro-social beings. Yes. Like I said to you before, relationships are everything in mirroring how, yeah. how we are as people yeah. to get to know more about ourselves. Yes. And so we need to seek help. Maybe it's professional help. Maybe it's asking a friend. Maybe it's asking someone that can see beyond our own clutter, our own yeah. mind clutter. But at some point, we need assistance there. And yes, we need to do the work. We need to be willing to be mindful of, oh, I'm about to behave in this way. I can feel it in my body coming up because I've, I've, I've learned the cues. Now I can make a change. So we change the neural patterning and the behavioral patterning. But we need help in order to see that fully. And so the answer to your original question a moment ago is, I believe that the state of the collective consciousness of humanity, in other words, our maturity, our, our sentient maturity, it's one of, if we don't hit rock bottom, we really won't change. And it's, it's unfortunate slash, slash fortunate yes. of where we are, but that's where we are. And so really, most of us only learn through intense pain. It doesn't always have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way long term. It's not always going to be that way. And it's not necessarily the only way to, to shift, change, transform. But for the majority of us, and at a collective level, it is. Okay, so what now? First of all, wait three days and download the next episode so you can hear the rest of this great conversation with Steph. However, in the meantime, I really want to highlight a few of the questions that Steph was asking. Am I thinking about life short term or am I thinking about humanity in the long term? Am I thinking about what's best for me right now in this moment? Or am I thinking about all the people that came before me, all the people that will come after me, and all the people that are around me now, whether I know them or not, and how am I contributing to the global whole of peace and love and happiness? Am I being curious about the way I react to other people and asking myself, is this a pattern that was set up a long time ago? And is there something I can do so that I can have better relationships with other people? Am I being inclusive or exclusive in my intentions? That's a big one. Am I going after what I want without any consideration for other people? Or am I realizing that I'm part of a global whole and that my actions are going to affect everybody else? And finally, realizing that the masculine and the feminine is an expressive state in all of us. We all have the masculine and feminine polarities inside of us. And can we know what is driving us at any moment and not reject any of those parts inside of us so we can be in balance, as Steph said. Stay tuned. Talk to you in three days. And have fun. Thanks for listening to A Brave New Man Podcast. 
Make sure to subscribe to A Brave New Man on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And come follow us on Instagram at A Brave New Man Pod. That's A Brave New Man P O D for updates on the show and our daily words of wisdom. See you next time.